Welcome to another lecture in the MSK Cornerstone course. This is a continuation of our sports medicine lecture series. This will be the second lecture addressing issues surrounding the elbow. In this lecture, we will discuss tendon issues surrounding the elbow, including distal bicep injuries and tricep injuries, medial and lateral epicondylitis, and arthritis issues pertaining to the elbow. Let's get started with distal bicep injuries. Distal bicep avulsion injuries are classified as either complete, partial, or intrasubstance. Partial distal bicep avulsion tears tend to occur on the radial side of the tuberosity footprint. This injury tends to occur in males aged 30 to 50 during an eccentric overloading of the biceps mechanism with the elbow flexed to 90 degrees. So think of a negative bicep curl in a weightlifter at the gym. Patients may complain about a pop or pain localized to the antecubital fossa. Proximal tears of the long head of the bicep from the superglenoid tubercle in the shoulder develop a Popeye deformity or distal retraction of the muscle belly within the arm. Distal tears, however, may develop a reverse Popeye deformity where the muscle retracts more proximally. However, this is not as noticeable as the standard Popeye deformity. The classical physical exam finding is a hook test in which you're unable to hook your finger around the tendon within the antecubital fossa. Because the bicep contributes to both flexion and supination, the patient will develop weakness in both of these movements. However, they will develop greater weakness in supination. Radiographs are typically normal. MRI is useful in determining the extent of the tear, either complete versus partial, and any level of retraction. It is also helpful to localize the tear, either within the myotendinous unit or a muscle belly tear, versus an avulsion off the bone. Non-operative treatment is generally reserved for low-demand elderly patients. These patients should be counseled that they will lose up to 50% of their supination strength and 30% of their flexion strength and 15% of their grip strength. So again, you will lose more supination strength than flexion strength. Most patients will undergo operative fixation of the torn biceps tendon. This will include a repair of the tendon to the radial tuberosity. There has been a significant debate between the best surgical approach, either anterior single incision technique or the two incision technique. In both techniques, the lateral antibrachial cutaneous nerve is at risk during the anterior approach. Furthermore, the forearm must be fully supinated to place the posterior intraosseous nerve out of the surgical field. Both approaches have shown successful results overall. Let's move on now to tricep tears. These typically occur in 30 to 50 year old male weightlifters or football players. Risk factors include local cortisone injections, fluoroquinolones, chronic olecranon bursitis, and renal osteodystrophy. The tricep typically ruptures during a forceful eccentric contraction. It's commonly an avulsion at the insertion of the medial or lateral tricep heads. Patients will often complain of a painful pop in the elbow and an inability to extend against gravity. On physical exam, they may have a noticeable palpable gap in the area of the tricep insertion along with swelling and ecchymosis. Radiographs are typically normal, however, they may show a flake sign on the lateral view consistent with the avulsed bony fragment. MRIs are useful for determining the location of the tear as well as any retraction, however, they are not necessary to make the diagnosis. Partial tears in low-demand patients may be treated non-operatively. However, most patients with acute tears or partial tears consisting of greater than 50% of the tendon undergo primary surgical repair. Okay, let's shift gears now and talk about lateral epicondylitis. Lateral epicondylitis, or tennis elbow, is a very common injury seen in orthopedic practices. Eccentric overload of the common extensor tendon leads to inflammation at the origin of the extensor chiropi radialis brevis. Again, 
most of the inflammation takes place within the extensor carpi radialis brevis. This is the most common cause of elbow pain. Patients typically have a history that includes repetitive pronation and supination motion, such as a tennis player would experience. The tissue of the ECRB tendon will show disorganized collagen fibers and angiofibroblastic hyperplasia under microscopic examination. Most times, lateral epicondylitis can be treated conservatively with non-operative management resolving up to 95% of cases. Briefly, what muscles insert onto the lateral epicondyle? There is the extensor carpi radialis brevis we just mentioned, the extensor carpi radialis longus, the extensor carpi radialis ulnaris, the extensor digitorum, the extensor digiti minimi, and the anconius. How do patients with lateral epicondylitis typically present? Patients will typically present with pain on resisted wrist extension and with gripping. They may have tenderness directly over the extensor carpi radialis brevis insertion. They may also have decreased grip strength. Resisted extension of the long fingers and wrist with the elbow fully extended will typically recreate their symptoms. This is a purely clinical diagnosis, and advanced imaging is not required. Radiographs will generally be normal, and MRI may show increased signal intensity at the ECRB origin. Conservative treatment for lateral epicondylitis includes activity modification, anti-inflammatories, icing, and physical therapy. Patients may also attempt a counterforce brace or corticosteroid injections into the point of maximal tenderness if they begin to fail the initial phases of conservative treatment. Most surgeons will attempt up to one year of conservative treatment prior to considering operative management. Again, patients can be reassured that 95% of patients with tennis elbow will have resolution of symptoms with non-operative management. Operative management includes the release and debridement of the ECRB insertion site. Great care needs to be taken not to excise too much tissue during operative management, as this can lead to lateral ulnar collateral ligament damage. Radial tunnel syndrome is also present in approximately 5% of patients. Medial epicondylitis, or golfer's elbow, presents in a similar fashion. Again, this is an overuse injury of the flexor pronator mass. It is much less common than lateral epicondylitis. It affects both men and women and generally involves the dominant extremity in three-quarters of cases. The mechanism of injury involves repetitive wrist flexion and forearm pronation, commonly seen in golfers and racket sports. This leads to microtrauma at the insertion of the flexor pronator mass. The pronator teres and flexor carpi radialis are the most commonly affected muscles. In throwing athletes, it is also important to rule out any ulnar collateral ligament damage as well. What muscles insert in the flexor pronator mass? There is the pronator teres, the flexor carpi radialis, the flexor digitorum superficialis, palmaris longus, and flexor carpi ulnaris. Patients will typically present with pain over the medial epicondyle that is worse with wrist and forearm motion. They may be tender to palpation over the medial epicondyle. Resisted forearm pronation and wrist flexion will typically recreate their symptoms. Again, this is a clinical diagnosis and advanced imaging is not necessary unless you are worried about the integrity of the ulnar collateral ligament. Radiographs will typically be normal. An MRI examination may show tendinosis of the pronator teres or flexor carpi radialis on T2-weighted images. Non-operative management for medial epicondylitis includes rest, ice, activity modification, physical therapy, 
and anti-inflammatories. Conservative treatment should be pursued for up to six months prior to considering any operative intervention. If the patient fails conservative treatment, they may need to undergo open debridement of the perineal teres and the flexor carpi radialis. Operative management includes excising the pathologic tissue in the flexor perineal mass and reattaching the mass to the medial epicondyles if it has become evolved. The medial antibrachial cutaneous nerve courses through the surgical field and therefore great care should be taken to avoid damaging it during the procedure. So those are issues involving tendons surrounding the elbow. Let's talk now about elbow arthritis. Elbow arthritis is a degenerative joint disease most commonly caused by primary osteoarthritis, post-traumatic arthritis, or inflammatory arthritis. Osteoarthritis is relatively rare, presenting in men more frequently than women. It is frequently found in older laborers, typically in patients over the age of 50. It is localized generally in the dominant extremity. Again, some patients may present with primary arthritis. However, secondary causes, including post-traumatic arthritis with previous radial head fractures or elbow dislocations, are not uncommon. A history of osteochondritis desiccans lesions or ligamentous damage to the elbow may lead to chronic instability and later the development of arthritic changes. Patients with arthritis will develop osteophytes, loose bodies, elbow stiffness, and pain. Inflammatory arthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis, is also a common cause of elbow degenerative changes. This is the most prevalent cause of elbow arthritis. With inflammatory arthritis, like with any joint, the chronic inflammatory process leads to synovitis, ligament attenuation, osteopenia, and capsular contraction. Before moving on, let's briefly speak about some anatomy of the elbow. The primary stabilizers of the elbow are the anterior band of the ulnar collateral ligament, the lateral collateral ligament, and the coronoid. Secondary stabilizers include the radial head, which provides up to 30% of the valgus stability and is most important between 0 and 30 degrees of flexion. The capsule adds another secondary stabilizer component. Patients with osteoarthritis will present with progressive pain typically at the end range of motion. They will show a loss of terminal extension, possibly of locking or catching on their elbow. Physical exam will show an overall loss in their elbow's range of motion. Many of these patients will also have a concurrent ulnar neuropathy, which is present in approximately 50%. Inflammatory arthritis typically presents first in the hand or wrist with pain and loss of motion. Along with the elbow pain, these patients may have a fixed flexion contracture and ligamentous incompetence. What is the most important preoperative test that a patient with rheumatoid arthritis needs prior to undergoing surgery? The cervical spine needs to be evaluated for any abnormalities. With elbow arthritis, radiographs will typically show joint space narrowing, osteophyte formation, and loose bodies. In the case of rheumatoid arthritis, the patients may also have periarticular erosions and cystic changes. Non-operative management includes anti-inflammatories, corticosteroid injections, splinting, and activity modification. If patients are unable to be treated conservatively, they may undergo operative management. This ranges from arthroscopic debridement and capsular release to ulnar humeral distraction interposition arthroplasty, olecranon fossa debridement, and total elbow arthroplasty. Arthroscopic debridement and capsular release is preferred in patients with near full range of motion and mild disease. If the patient has had a previous ulnar nerve transposition, they should not undergo any elbow arthroscopy as the ulnar nerve is at risk during portal placement. Distraction interposition arthroplasty is reserved for young, high-demand patients. With this technique, either autologous tensor fasciolata or Achilles tendon allograft are placed within the degenerative joint. Total elbow arthroplasty is reserved for patients older than 65 years of age. Highly active patients or those with a Charcot joint are not candidates for a total elbow arthroplasty. 
Complications from this procedure are high and include infection, loosening, wound healing problems, and triceps insufficiency, as well as ulnar neuropathy. There are two types of elbow replacements for testable purposes, an unconstrained total elbow arthroplasty or a constrained total elbow arthroplasty. Unconstrained total elbow arthroplasty should be performed in all patients with competent elbow ligaments and adequate bone stock. Constrained total elbow arthroplasty is reserved for those patients that have incompetent elbow ligaments, such as those with significant rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, so that concludes our talk on tendon issues and arthritic changes surrounding the elbow. Thanks again for listening.